0: Well, hi, everybody. Welcome. I'm Jason Cusick. I'm the lead pastor here at Journey of Faith. And I want to say a special... All right. Woo! Got some woos going on out here. That's great. Uh, I, uh, I want to say a special welcome to those of you that are with us for the first time here. And if you're with us for the first time at our Torrance campus right now, we're connected with you guys there. Great that you can be with us. And if you weren't able to make it in person to either of our campuses uh, and you're watching us online, great that we can be connected this way. We're starting a five-week message series today called Make Space. And the idea is that we live really busy lives, uh, really full lives, and sometimes when things get busy and full, we get out of balance. And so what we want to do here is spend the next five weeks here on Sunday mornings helping us get life into balance a little bit more and make more space for Jesus in this season of the year. Now this season of the year in our calendar between now and Easter is has a special significance throughout church history. Christians around the world are celebrating this season and it's called Lent. And the word Lent actually comes from a word that means the lengthening of days during spring and the idea is between now and Easter it's a season where we look inward spiritually. We do some spiritual spring cleaning to kind of look at our lives and what's happening in our relationship with God. And it ends up being all about this topic, and that is spirituality, how we live in this world in relationship with God. And spirituality operates on two levels. There's kind of The surface level that we all kind of see and experience, we go to church, maybe we pray, maybe we read the Bible, we interact in healthy ways with people, we're generous with people. Maybe we work to get rid of any obvious barriers to our relationship with God. But there's another level of spirituality that happens beneath the surface and here's a good visual picture for this. It comes from uh, Pete Scazzaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which is a book we're using kind of as a, a basis for this series. And you see here he uses the iceberg as this metaphor, that a lot of our spirituality actually happens beneath the surface of what we're doing in our everyday lives. So what we're going to do over these five weeks is we're going to look at some common tensions between unhealthy spirituality and healthy spirituality. And each week, we'll look at one of these tensions and address it and see how we can make some progress. So let me quickly share with you the five tensions that we're going to be looking at in this series, and then we'll get into the first one today. The first one, which we're going to talk about today, is unhealthy spirituality is when we're living from a false sense of self. Healthy spirituality is finding my first identity in my relationship with God. We'll talk about that today. Second, unhealthy spirituality is ignoring or minimizing the pains of the past. Oh, that's the past, we don't have to worry about that. That happened to me long ago, it has no bearing on me today. Healthy spirituality is finding God in my painful past. I'm actually gonna look back at what happened to me and say, you know, God was there, or I, need, I want to discover where was God during these experiences in my life. Next, unhealthy spirituality is not admitting my negative feelings to God. Like, I'm angry at God. I'm confused. I'm frustrated. I'm lonely. Healthy spirituality is about being able to be honest with God about my feelings. The next one we'll look at is unhealthy spirituality is trying to keep the world's schedule, all the demands and the requirements of the world around me and the world we create for ourselves. Healthy spirituality is choosing God's spiritual rhythms on life, rhythms like prayer and rest and play. And then last, right before Easter, we're going to be seeing that unhealthy spirituality is when I see myself as the center of the universe. Healthy spirituality is when we see Jesus as the center of my life. So that's what we're going to be covering. Let's look at this first one today. This idea that unhealthy spirituality is when we live from a false sense of self versus finding my first identity in my relationship with God. Let me start by telling you about the welcome mat that's on my porch. Here's a picture of it. It's got nothing there. It's just this rubber frame. So we have this rubber frame and the idea is we bought this rubber frame and then you can switch out you're welcome, Mats, throughout the year or whatever the seasons of life, you know, come up. And so we have a generic one, and then, and then we have one that has our name on it, and, and then we have one for Christmas, different ones for Christmas, you know, Jesus is the reason, or Merry Christmas, and then there's one for Easter and stuff. We switch them out all the time. So right before Christmas, I took out the generic one that we have, and it was falling apart, you know. And so I threw it away and I was like, I'll get another one later and then we'll put the Christmas one in. So I put the Christmas one in, Christmas ended. I took the Christmas one out and I realized I don't, I don't have anything to put in there. So I was like, I'm gonna go online and I'm gonna try to find something that'll work for me. And you know, it's amazing how many welcome mats there are online. I was looking at like, like the internet really wants me to have a lot of choices for welcome mats. So I looked online, one of them was like a Star Wars theme one, I thought that was good. Then there's some kind of weird political ones from both sides. One of them is welcome, comrade. And then the other one's just, America, you know? And then there's sports ones and food ones. And then there's like one that is like an ironic play on your psychological wellness. It's like, I am not a doormat, <laughs> you know? And then there's the other ones just totally antisocial, right, just as go away. Go back to this plain one. So I'm like, what do I put in there? What, what's the message about what my home is about? Kind of says something about me. And then what's the primary message I want people to have about me? And I was thinking about that doormat, and I felt like that was like a metaphor for the idea of our identity. Our primary identity is like who am I and who do I want people to see that I am? What is the most important message to communicate to the people around me? And just like the internet is very generous, at providing a lot of different identities for my doormat, the world around us is always wanting to give us suggestions about what our primary identity should be. Our politics, our possessions, our passions, our popularity, other P words. You know, like like they just keep coming at us like, here's who you are here's who, if somebody were to say who are you you would say i am and then you finish that sentence the difficulty is is a lot of times we finish that sentence based on the season based on our feelings based on our experiences based on who we know or what we're doing and we change them out like we change out welcome max but what should be our core identity? What, where should we get our identity from that actually never changes? Here's our main idea for today. We can find our true identity in a relationship with God. Today I want to share with you two stories from the Bible. One of them is a story of a man and a woman who actually had their true identity and traded it in for a false identity. The other one is a story of someone who got it right early in life, and that was Jesus. And we're going to see what we can learn from them. Here's the first story, and this is where we can find it. When I say first story, I mean literally the first story in the entire Bible, Genesis 1 through 3. And this is the story of Adam and Eve. And let me set this up for you a little bit. The Bible starts by giving us the story of creation. God makes the world and then he places a man and a woman in a lush environment where all their needs are met and they're living in this beautiful transparent relationship with God, their creator, and with each other. And it says that they were naked and not ashamed. A beautiful picture of innocence and openness and vulnerability. They're given the assignment to care for creation and care for one another And there's only one restriction. They're allowed to eat of all the fruit that is in the area they live in, except for one specific tree. And they're told, if you eat from this tree, it's gonna have disastrous results. Don't go there. Everything seems to be going fine until a third character is introduced into the story, an unusual talking serpent Who strikes up a conversation with Eve while her husband Adam is standing silently nearby? And here's how the conversation goes One day, the serpent asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? Of course, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle. Of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, You must not eat it or even touch it, and if you do, you'll die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it and then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. And here's what it says happened. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Let's stop here for a moment. This isn't like magic fruit. It's not like hallucinogenic shrooms or you know, like like what we're de- what's being described here is not I ate something and then then suddenly I had some uh, crazy perception of reality. What's being described here is the action resulted in a new understanding of themselves, an understanding of themselves that God actually did not want them to experience. It was something that was not good for them. What we have here in the story of Adam and Eve is not a story of rule keeping and rule breaking. What we have here is an ancient story of an identity crisis we see a couple whose primary identity was connected to being in loving connection and trust with God. And then, through an experience, their identity became shaped by seeking knowledge of themselves outside of a relationship with God, with disastrous results. And it's really an amazing picture of what was happening. In fact, We see Adam and Eve craving something outside of a relationship with God regarding their identity. Look what it says here. It says that the woman was convinced, of three things. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and it looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give. It looked good. She felt like this is something that would bring me pleasure, and it's holding some promises of something that I want that at the moment I don't feel like I can get from my spiritual life. Have you been like that? Have you experienced that before where you're like, oh man, if I could only get into that relationship, if I could only get that job, if I could be in that friendship circle, if I could lose this much weight, if I could achieve that If I could get that, if I could experience that, then I will be different. That's the lure, not of behaviors. That's the lure of the false self. Centuries later, one of Jesus' followers, John, would read this passage and go, boy, this is not just talking about Adam and Eve. This is talking about all of us. And here's how John writes it. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father. This is from the world. What's being described here in this beautiful poetic language, in the story of Adam and Eve, and even in John's writings as a follower of Jesus is that we have choices to make every day about where our primary identity will be found. And here's the first way that we can recognize that we can deal with our finding our primary identity in God, and it's through this. We need to recognize that we tend to find our identity in the wrong places. Where are some of the wrong places that you find your identity? Let me tell you something I love doing. I love writing and rewriting my resume. I was told years ago as a young man, have your resume written and have different versions of your resume and always be updating your resume all the time. And I took it seriously, I'm crazy on writing and rewriting my resume. So I have a resume that's more of my academic resume that talks about my education and my publications. And then I have another resume that's my job experience. And then I have another resume that's like my family and my strengths and my personality and stuff like that. And I looked on my file as I was writing out my resume. I was like, I have like 25 different versions of my resume and I'm always updating it and having a great time with it. I've never used my resume once take that off the screen. I've never used it once. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying that the jobs that I've gotten have always been because I've developed relationships with people and and I've gotten to know them and then I got into a job. Even this job as lead pastor here, so our previous lead pastor required and I have been working at this job for 12 years. And so they were doing a national search and the search committee came to me and said, "Would you consider being a candidate?" with the other candidates that we are looking for. And I said, yes, I'd be honored. Can I give you my resume? They were like, we don't need your resume. We know you. You've been working here for 12 years. We know your education. We know what you do. We know your experience. I was like, okay, I understand. I pulled aside one of the committee members and I said to her, can I please give you my resume? I mean, (laughs) I've been working on this for 20 years and no one's ever looked at it. She was like, "Okay, that's fine. Send it." I don't know if they looked at it or not, but I mean, <laughs> now I think resumes are really cool. For me, it's it's almost a form of spiritual autobiography, really. For me, I get to think about the things I've done, the things I've accomplished, the things I've learned. You know, it's a way for me to document my professional and personal growth in a lot of ways. So that's really great. But I realized right around this time where the. Even my own church didn't want my resume. Uh, I realized I think I'm making this a bigger deal than it is. I started to feel like, am I my resume? I'm not my resume. And I realized that I have a tendency to find my identity in the wrong places. What about you? Do you find your identity in the wrong place? you find your identity in your job? Then you lose your job, and you go into an identity crisis. You spend all that time on your job, and then you retire, and you're like, who am I? You find your identity in your appearance or your health, and then it changes. Or you change it. You go, oh, man, I, I don't feel like I'm me, so let me change my appearance, hoping that when I change my appearance, then I am the real me. The real you exists apart from your appearance. Maybe frying your identity in relationships. I'm the real me if I had these friends. Or problems in your life. I would be the real me if I didn't have these problems. Some of us find identity in our problems. Oh, I'm a victim of this. I'm a survivor of this. Some of us find identity. In things that not just won't change, but must change. Let me speak to you parents out there. When you're a parent, you go through different stages of parenting. When your, parent, when your child is, is small, they are dependent on you. The goal is that your child will go to a place where they are not dependent on you anymore. Now the difficulty with that is some of us who identify as a parent, we identify as I am a parent, which means my child is dependent on me. And then when they grow up to be older, we start feeling an identity crisis. So we require them to continue to be dependent on them. We infantilize them in order to keep them dependent on us, lest our identity changes. Identity management and identity change is part of life. Our identities will always shift. That's not the issue. The issue is, is there a relationship that I can have? Is there a primary identity marker that will not change given any circumstances? What we have to realize is not only do we need a primary identity that doesn't change, but we need to recognize that sometimes our multiple identities need to be reordered. So here's an action step for you. Identify and begin to address one source of misordered identity. Here's what I mean by that. I made a list of like my top seven identity markers. My ethnicity, my race, culture, it's actually kind of low for me, kind of like an ethnic mutt. I don't even know what I am. I'm so I'm third culture. I'm confused. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, for some of you, ethnicity and race and culture is a, uh, is a higher thing. It's a stronger identity marker for you. Where I live, I'm South Bay. I talk like a South Bay person. I talk like Southern California person. I don't know how to do anything different. My current feelings and triggers. Here's what I deal with. I don't think that's a great identity marker, but it's a reality. I can get triggered by all kinds of crazy, weird things. Uh, my family, my Gen Xer, my education, my titles, my level, stuff like that. All of you, if you were to say what are your top seven? If, I, if you were to start the sentence, I am father, female, male, uh, employee, you know, whatever. What are your top seven? And what's at the top? Here's what I think God wants to have at the top of all of our lists, loved by God. And that doesn't change. And somehow when we're able to put love by God at the top, some of the other stuff Starts to be in the right place. The biggest problems we have with our culture, not only in our culture and interacting with each other, but in our own lives, psychologically and soulishly, is we allow other identity markers to the top. then we've been defining ourselves by those things, and we look for other people that define themselves by those things, rather than allowing the love of God to influence all of us. What would it be look like? What would it look like? You got out this week. And as other identity markers begin to compete for that top space, you can hear the gentle whisper of God saying, I created you, I love you, you are mine. When you're tempted to feel like your identity is directly connected to your grades in school or your job performance, Or that bad hair day, which I don't struggle with. (laughs) Or your bank account. Or what people think of you. What you think of yourself. Those negative memories of your past. All of them, all those things, they want that top space. And sometimes we crave those things to have the top space. Like Adam and Eve, well, if I could only get this, if I could only get this, I'll be my true self. No, you'll be a false self. Your true self comes from this. Now you might be like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm in, that sounds like a great idea. But every one of us, when we leave here, we will feel the temptation of those other identity markers rising to the top. And the culture around us will market those things. We live in a culture that is wanting to find all kinds of identity markers for you and say, this is who you are. This is your politics, and this is the most important part of who you are. No, it's not. This is your appearance, and this is the most important part of who you are. No. It's our relationship with God. And that's where healthy spirituality comes from. It's when we put our relationship with God first. And where we fight to keep it as the primary identity. You know who did this well? Jesus did it well. Let's look at a story from his life. In the beginning of the New Testament, Luke chapter 2, we have a story of where Jesus is with his family. He's 12 years old. His family has gone to Jerusalem for a big Jewish festival, probably with a big group of people. And the big group of people, the festival is over, and they leave. And what Jesus' parents don't realize is Jesus is not with them. And they have this home alone moment where they go, Oh, Jesus, literally. Oh, Jesus, he's not here. What do we do? So then they go back to Jerusalem. <clears throat> Here's what it says After three days, after three days, after three days, they found Jesus in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding. And his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, look at mom starts blaming the kid, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Look at Jesus's response. He says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Now, first of all, this is just a weird parent-child dynamic that we're seeing in the scriptures with Jesus and his own parents. Also, we we believe that Luke, who wrote this record of Jesus' life, probably got this story directly from Mary. And I can imagine Mary saying, oh, here's what went down. Can you leave out that we lost him for three days? Could you not include that? It's like, no, this is good. I'm leaving this in here. This is great. But what's happening here? Jesus is making his spiritual life the primary thing in his life. Jesus is finding himself sitting, one of the rare, only one of two instances in the Bible where it appears as if Jesus is listening and learning from religious leaders. And he's like, this is gonna be, he's 12 years old, he's like, I gotta stay here in the temple and learn. I gotta, I gotta grow. And that's a great example That we can follow. We can find our true identity in our relationship with God. Here's another way to find your God-intended identity by following Jesus' example. Jesus made his spiritual life a priority. At 12 years old, he's like, this is it. And in Judaism, that was kind of the age where a young person became an adult and had responsibility for their own spiritual life with God. Sometimes we have a delayed adolescence. Well, you'll get to it when you get in college or be a young adult. No, it's 12 years old. It's like this is a time to prioritize your faith, to own your faith. Now, when you read this in the New Testament, we just read this verse, but when you read this in the New Testament where he says, uh, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Those of you that are, are, read from a, a physical Bible or online, or you're opening up your Bible and reading this, you'll notice that there is usually like a footnote or an asterisk next to this quote from Jesus. And that's because uh, in the the oldest Greek documents we have recorded in the story, we're not exactly sure what Jesus said here. In fact, literally, In the oldest Greek New Testaments that we have, this is what it says. Don't you know that it's necessary for me to my father? Now, it's not that Jesus didn't know how to speak the language. He didn't know how to put words into a sentence. It's just that we don't know exactly what he said. Some people have translated this, like we read don't you know I needed to be in my father's house? Meaning I needed to be where spiritual instruction was happening and where prayer was happening so I could grow in my relationship with God. Some translated, don't you know I need to be among my father's people? Meaning I need to be in a spiritual community where I'm growing and being nurtured in my faith so I can become who God has called me to be. The oldest older translations just make it very general. Where they said, Don't you know I need to be about my father's business? Not like he owns a business. It's just like the idea is like, whatever my heavenly father is about, that's what I need to be about. And I think that's a good way to kind of summarize what Jesus is getting at here. And an example that we can have is like, whatever God is doing in the world, that's where I wanna be. That's Jesus's example. Whatever God is doing, that's the thing I want to be doing. I wanna be connected with that. And that's where we find our true identity. So much so that when we put God as our primary identity, it means we are willing to disappoint other people. That that's okay. And that that's part of it. That's a part of human development that's called differentiation. This is when we distinguish our true self from the demands and voices around us. Jesus is like, I need to be about my father's business, even if that means that is a challenge for my parents. Because I'm putting God first. Some of us, we put our friends first. Or our parents first, like God is not the primary person in our life. Differentiation is when we go, I'm going to be me, and you can be you, and if you're not me, I don't have to try to make you to be me, and if you're not me, I don't have to push you away. You can be you, I can be me. Here's a, a picture of it. It's like me here, you here, and Jesus is right here between us. Differentiation is such an important part of the spiritual life and it's honestly an important part about our culture. I was talking to somebody a few weeks ago, and, and, and they, were, they were just hot and triggered about some type of issue in the news. And they came to me and they were like, oh my gosh, this is a big issue, this is the biggest thing ever, aren't you, are you concerned about this like I am? And I was like, no, no I'm not. Now, that doesn't mean I, I I think you're wrong or I'm going to reject you, but I don't have to be as upset about that as you are. And we can still have a friendship and a relationship through Jesus. This is really, really important for us. If the goal is we're we're both trying to get to Jesus here, we're both trying to prioritize our spiritual life. And it is okay that we might not always see eye to eye on everything. Here's an action step I have for you this week. All of this is contingent on a relationship with God. Spend 15 minutes of quality time with your Heavenly Father. Just like Jesus kind of stopped the, the, the leaving of Jerusalem with all the hustle and bustle, he stopped. He's like, I'm going I'm to spend some time with God. I'm going to surround myself with people who are pursuing God and asking questions. I'm going to learn. I'm going to listen. I'm going to ask questions. What would 15 minutes of quality time with your Heavenly Father do this week for your identity? Especially in a world where everyone is competing for your I am statements. Here's what we talked about today. We can find our true identity in a relationship with God. One, recognize that we tend to find our identity in the wrong places. Identify where you tend to find your identity. And when you're struggling, when you're tempted, when you're hitting those tough times, what quickly goes to the top? Is it your job? Is it your friendship circles, your appearance, your struggle, past traumas? Are you one of those people that's a fixer and a controller? That if there's nothing to fix or control that you create drama so that you can fix it or control it? You go try to find somebody else's problems so you can fix them. If I'm not fixing anything, who am I? What is your, did I just describe myself? I don't know, maybe. Uh, and then two, find your God-intended identity by following Jesus' example. Jesus differentiated himself from the voices and demands of those around him, and he focused on having a quality relationship with his heavenly father. And we'll talk about it in a couple of weeks. He would regularly, he'd regularly go away to quiet places to refocus himself on who God was calling him to be, his mission, his identity. Here's a quote from this book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Living your God-given life involves remaining faithful to your true self. It entails distinguishing your true self from the demands and voices around you and discerning the unique vision, calling, and mission the Father has given to you. When I went online looking for a welcome mat, everybody had ideas for me and I'm still getting bombarded with ideas. Try this, here's, your, here's what your welcome mat should say. Here's what your welcome mat should, here's the statement that you should have on the front step of your house. And as I was thinking more about identity, I get, this Is this is what my welcome mat should say. I created you, I love you, you are mine. That's what I want as my primary identity. And this week, as things are cheating their way to the top, I gotta keep putting that out on the front porch. Let's all try to do that this week. I'm gonna close us in prayer and ask for God to help us with this. Would you stand as we close today? Hey, if if, if there's something going on, if if you got something on your mind or your heart that you'd like to talk with somebody about, maybe you want somebody to pray for you, we're going to have our our prayer team people over here by the cross here and at Torrance. Would love to connect with you about that. If you want to find a way to get more connected, would love to help you with that. And looking forward to next week, we're going to dive into another one of these tensions that's beneath the surface, kind of doing some of that internal spring cleaning of our spiritual lives. Let me pray for us as we close. Thanks for being with us today. God, thank you. We've, we've sung together. We've prayed together. Uh, we've looked at the story of Adam and Eve and the story of Jesus, and we've learned a little bit more about how important it is to have our primary identity in you. That's where our true identity comes from. God, this week as we're wrestling through, as, as some of these other identities try to creep, creep their way to the top, help us to keep you and our relationship with you as the number one. That'll help a lot of these other ones to fall into place. We thank you so much. Bless us and guide us this week in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, everybody. Have a great week.